You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, students, and alumni as they offer insights of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan N. Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. Mindfulness practice is is paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, non-judgmentally. Those three pieces. And maybe I should back up a little bit for the benefit of people listening (laughs) who have absolutely no clue what I'm talking about right here when I say mindfulness. Because while it's now a word that is popularly used in the media and so forth it's not a word that still you know maybe even most people know really what it means so um it's a it's a word this is a a practice or a set of practices that that originate from contemplative traditions and a lot of those have you know cultural and religious um, heritage to them one in particular is buddhism And there was a medical researcher by the name of John Kabat-Zinn in the 1970s who had studied meditation through some Buddhist masters in India and I think also Burma and maybe Thailand. And so he had developed a personal practice that was having a a huge benefit uh, for his life. He he found all kinds of of interesting results from it. Nothing mystical, but just becoming more fully aware of being alive in the world. And when you do that, you start to reap all sorts of benefits. So he was doing that and he realized, and he was also a medical researcher at University of Massachusetts, and he started to wonder if maybe this had some relevance to his patients. So he did something that was pioneering. He took these techniques that were embedded or or integral to um, Buddhist cultures and sort of distilled them into a set of techniques that's secular. That means you don't have to have a religious tradition tied to it in order to do it. It's just straight up trained introspective work. Um, And so he pulled those techniques out, distilled them into a set of practices, and created a stress management program for his patients around it. And these were people who had chronic pain, Um, and other kinds of suffering they were experiencing as patients. And he developed an eight-week program that uh, allowed, and that's over time been shown through all kinds of scientific studies to have a really positive effect on stress reduction and on on management of pain. So, you know, that program still exists. It's called MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. still exists. Um, At its core, and at the core of pretty much any other mindfulness practice that's out there, is a definition that Kabat-Zinn used many years ago that that still holds up pretty well today, which is that mindfulness practice is is paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, non-judgmentally. Those three pieces. So on purpose means you're not just randomly paying attention to things like, Mm -hmm. oh, my phone buzzed. 
Now I'm paying attention to my phone. Oh, I heard a, a noise, a squirrel, you know, this kind of thing. That's not paying attention on purpose. So actually learning to train your mind to pay attention on the things that, to the things that you want it to pay attention to on purpose in the present moment. So actually noticing what's happening to you in the present moment, not because our minds tend to have three modes. Our mind is either ruminating on the past, you know, just what I should have said or what I should have done, or I wish that person hadn't said this to me, boy, I would have said this back. I wish I had thought of that kind of thing. Okay. Past, future. Okay. When I'm done with this, I've got a list of 10 other things I've got to do. And so my next plan is to do, you know, A, B, and C. Oh yeah. And I forgot, I still have to go, you know, so that's the planning mind. Right. And then the third mode is fantasy. It's just like, I'm on a beach or anywhere but here because my life sucks. You know, this kind of sort of fantasizing, right? None of those three modes involve actually experiencing the present moment. And what he argues and what lots of mindfulness, all mindfulness practitioners argue, is that when you actually train your mind to pay attention on purpose in the present moment, your stress drops away. The kinds of things that got you all cranked up start to just dissolve. As one teacher puts it, you don't solve your problems doing mindfulness, you dissolve your problems. Because as you start to look at your actual experience physically, you know, your body's feelings, this is why yoga is so important to, to mindfulness practice, because yoga trains people to pay attention to their bodies. And in our society and culture, we are like brains on a stick just moving around dragging our bodies like baggage around with us as we go to the next thing lean into the next moment you know and so mindfulness training says hang on a second guess what all you have is the present moment you know so if you're feeling happy you may be feeling happy 10 minutes from now but you have no idea what you're going to be feeling 10 minutes from now so why not fully experience happiness right but if you're feeling miserable what does miserable feel like? So what it asks you to do is separate the stories about your misery from the actual physical experience of the misery. And that's where the, the dissolving comes in. Because we realize in doing that practice that most of it's the stories, you know, about our suffering. A lot less of it is the actual feeling in the body or the, or the you know, the, the thoughts that are emerging that come and go. As we start to put some distance between ourselves, our, our storytelling, and the actual experience, we realize that we're actually bringing suffering to an experience that doesn't absolutely require suffering to be happening, you know? And so uh, the, the last piece was the non-judgmental part. And, and that doesn't mean I don't care anymore. It just means that I'm going to, I'm going to give some distance to my judgment of it as painful or bad or or, you know, um, something about me, a message about me, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible human being. All those stories that we bring, we leave those aside and just look at the experience without judgment and let it be what it is. You know, if it hurts, we let it hurt. You know, if it feels great, we love that feeling of greatness, but we don't get attached to it because fundamentally these things come and go like waves, you know? So, um, so that's mindfulness. That's mindfulness practices. There's a whole series of techniques and meditative practices and so forth that, that help train us, train our minds for, for being able to do that.
So the Duke University, a couple of psychiatrists have been doing mindfulness for a long time, personal practice for decades, but starting to weave it into their teaching, into their, into their uh, training. And they started experimenting with it. Um, and um, uh, Holly Rogers and, and Margaret Maytan from Duke University, both psychiatrists. Um, and they decided at some point that there was, there was a way to craft a curriculum that was designed just for college students and graduate students who have those kinds of lives and who have those kinds of concerns and need a program that's designed just for them. So there's a category now in psychology that's called emerging adult. And so this, this is somebody who's 18 to 29 years old. And these are people who are just emerging into adulthood, whatever that means for them. And what they realized was that that's a category for which mindfulness training is desperately needed, but also uh, needs to be crafted you know, who's, who, whose needs, the, the people in, in that category who have needs that need, need to have a mindfulness training program crafted to fit. So they designed Koru. Koru is a, is a Maori word from Australia and New Zealand, uh, meaning something like the unfolding of something, like the unfolding of a fern. And so the idea is, of course, that in, in practicing mindfulness, you're allowing yourself fully to unfold as a human being. Um, and so they designed a four-week curriculum um, so that students could, graduate students and undergraduate students could take part in it. It was accessible, you know, so it's 75 minutes um, once a week for four weeks. And in between 10 minutes of meditation practice and then some other activities, some skills to practice. So it's manageable. It's not, it's not out of the reach of somebody who's got a job and classes and maybe family responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, re, it, it, it's pretty much achievable by everyone who puts their minds to it. So they designed that. I discovered it online and I said, where have you been all my life? This is perfect. And so I got into their program and went through the teacher certification process and got certified. Dr. Mike Kimball. I am a professor in the Department of Anthropology. My vision goes beyond these, these little classes. Um, I think they're really important. I can only have 12 students, up to 12 students per class. I have a full teaching load as a professor. So it's I offer, I, I, as a service, I offer these classes free of charge to students, but I can't clone myself and do 10 of them, which is what I, I would love to be able to do. My wife probably wouldn't want 10 of me, nor would my children. But, you know, but, you know in general, the, the principle is good, you know, to have, to have many more people offering these classes is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, and, uh, and so um, I started to think lately that um, it needs to go beyond that. And so right now I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with some new ideas, some new models, and I'm, I'm collaborating with, other, with faculty members, with staff, with students, um, with administrators on developing something that's, um, that's larger and, and has better outreach to our population here and, and therefore in the future would have a bigger impact.